All right, welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday afternoon, as I am joined today by a very special guest. He is going to help me break down this entire NBA draft, and maybe if we have time to talk about some Nuggets free agency stuff. He is the Action Network's own Brandon Anderson, at Wheaton Brando on Twitter. Brandon, uh, good to hear from you, man. You have been so extremely busy with all of this draft content. Uh, How are you doing? Are you staying sane? I'm staying sane. It does not help that the NBA season ended but didn't end. And we're watching overnight Olympic Games in Tokyo. We are prepping for the NBA draft in the afternoon. I think free agency is coming. Uh, my, my friend just texted me that the play-in games have been renewed. And in his mind, we're, we're almost getting to the point where next year's playoffs will just end the day after the finals. We'll just start right back up in the playoffs again and it sort of feels like that's the bubble life we've been living for the last year or so. So I am coming up for air at some point of the day or night or Tokyo time. I don't really know anymore, but the draft is coming. That is basically Christmas for me. And I'm excited to see where all these guys end up. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about things today. You mentioned the Olympics and and it's something that I haven't necessarily covered that much in depth over a pickaxe and roll here. Uh, just because it's there's just so much going on and, and you have to be willing to spend your time well. Uh, are you surprised that Team USA lost their first game to France? I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. I actually, for Action Network, I, I actually picked France to beat them in that game. Um, it's U.S. is just not as far ahead as as we like to think that we are anymore. And it's not a roster that makes a ton of sense. Uh, it, it's still, I don't know, it's its both. It still is a good team. We still have Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard and a bunch of good players. We still have apparent Olympian JaVale McGee there to save the day. Hey, um, now, that's that's Nuggets legend JaVale <laughs> McGee. I yeah. know, that's why I brought up JaVale. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy he gets his chance there. Happy he gets to sing happy birthday to Kevin Durant two months early. Like it's a good team of good players. We have the best roster. We absolutely should still win gold. It's just that the should is not the should that Americans like to think it is. Like we want should to mean 95%. We want to just show up and beat everyone in all the events. And like already today, we lost the softball gold and Simone Biles is here. We lost the gymnastics goal. Like, no, no, we didn't lose golds. We won silver. There's a lot of countries and you have to beat a bunch of teams to win the things. And like the men's team actually has to beat teams now. And they actually didn't beat France and they're going to actually have to beat real teams and play tough games. And uh, I think our NBA players are kind of like, yo, I'm ready for a vacation. I was not planning on actually playing competition over here. So it's going to be tough. I, I would still pick them over picking any one other team. I would not pick them against the field. So I think it's going to be a battle. Going to be interesting. Luka Doncic doing what he did was really, really fun. Uh, And I really do think that had Nikola Jokic decided he wanted to play for Serbia, uh, had they really committed to that, then that would be a very dangerous matchup for the USA as well. But say la vie, like I'm not really worried about that because Jokic, he deserves some rest after what was an incredible year. 
Uh, let's get into this draft. And, and you just put out a really nice big board that had some very, very hot takes uh, that I'm, I'm going to make sure to link over with, with this uh, podcast link. Uh, it is over at Medium. Everybody go make sure to follow Brandon at Wheaton Brando on Twitter. He makes sure to retweet that and share some great insights. Uh, let's just start from the top down here. Cade Cunningham, you had two players in your superstar tier. You said they, it's possible that Evan Mobley might actually be, uh, might be just as good, but I'm, I'm very curious in your mind, like, look, Cade Cunningham, Luka Doncic, people are, have invoked the name Markel Fultz uh, in terms of the, the kind of uninspired ability to lead a certain group that far and it's just just some some weird stuff that's going on at the top right now i like Cade. i think he's going to be great uh but there there is at least an argument that he won't be the top player of the draft right yeah well i mean i I think there's almost always that argument like Cade cunningham is not lebron james like that's that shouldn't be a hot take or any amount of slander. There are only so there's only one LeBron James. I was gonna say there are only so many. No, there's one. There's just the sure. one. And and you know, the other the the top names in the draft are still like look, Markel Fultz, I, I thought was like the best guard prospect in like a decade when he came out. He got hurt, he he got in his head, he forgot how to shoot. Like that doesn't mean that we were all wrong about Markel Fultz, it means that we don't know. We, we're speculating. We see the things we like. We expect, you know, Nuggets fans know Nikola Jokic fell all the way halfway into the second round. Like, we don't know what we're doing. We, we see things we like, <laughs> but we are projecting. And, and also, we're projecting things we know about a player right now. These are humans that still have to develop and learn how to play and, and be part of a team and, and scenarios and the coaching staffs. And like, we're, we're not, this is not a linear thing and you just have to learn the whole thing and pick the right order. That's not how the draft works. So I know I think, I think Cade has a very high floor. His, his shooting took a huge step forward this year. That was supposed to be the big red flag. And then he's suddenly hitting step back threes and like the shot really genuinely looks great. Um, looks very reliable. I, for me, the reason why I, I did ultimately have Kate number one and Mobley two, I strongly feel that's the top two tier. I think it's going to be ludicrous if, if anyone, but those two go in the top two. To me, if I look at championship teams over the last 10, 15 years, I see on those teams, Chris Bosh. I see Anthony Davis. I see Pau Gasol. These are like, that's the sort of big man you're seeing on a lot of teams. I know that's slander on a Denver podcast. I'm not saying that's the only way you can win. I'm just saying we're, we're seeing in a league where there are more and more great handlers and big wings to have that versatile kind of four or five defender that can do a little bit of everything on offense that can handle that can you know just do anything that you need and be a really great defensive anchor that's a title player I don't think Evan Mobley is is a number one player on a good team the same way that Anthony Davis wasn't the Pelicans never were good like genuinely good with Davis as the number one Chris Bosh and the Raptors would like lose in the first round every single time so I think Cade Cunningham can be the number one player on a good maybe win a first round playoff series team but if we're talking about okay now it's the final four who do you want I don't know if I see Cade 
as the number one on an elite elite team. And that's not mean. There are like six guys in the NBA that I would say that that's true of. And if it's a number two, I think I'd rather have Mobley's complementary skills and what that looks like on a team. Maybe if he gets there, he has to add a lot of strength. So I did keep him number two, but I, I think it's closer than people are willing to admit. There's a Giannis, Chris Middleton, and and Robin joke in there somewhere uh, that I think you could you could probably throw at Cade, Evan Mobley, and all of those guys. But like it's it, we won't get into it too deep. Uh, among Green and Suggs, who is the guy that you dislike the most? Who's the guy that you think okay, I I don't want to be taking this guy because I'm a little bit worried about him. So Jalen Green is my answer and my easy answer for that one. It's not necessarily that I don't like him. Uh, if you're a longtime reader, the way that I look at shooting guards, that I have Jalen Green, number four on my board, is actually like a pretty huge vote of confidence it, it in says, him. It says a lot <laughs> about like your general perspective. And given that we've had right. these conversations going back years now, like that is a pretty big endorsement of Jalen Green in my eyes. Right, yeah. It's, it, to me, it's just an archetype thing. Like I'm just not all about... The, the the Devin Bookers and Zach Levines of the world, like the the super hot scoring guards, the guys who, from my point of view, don't contribute, uh, do contribute on defense, but I wish they didn't because it's negative. And they, they basically <laughs> score a bunch of points if it's their night. And if they don't, then the other team has to pick them up. But if they're not scoring or if the shots aren't falling, I just, I don't know, the value isn't enough for me. They take a long time to get there, like year six, year seven for these guys like Levine and Booker and Beal to be all-stars. They're a genuinely negative player along the way, usually. The efficiency takes a while. I know in the playoffs, you need those tough shot makers. I also know that wings and lead handlers and elite centers all tend to be more valuable players to me. So archetype-wise, I got very close to dropping Jalen Green one spot further on my big board, and it just felt like too much of a hot take. We'll talk about the guy who I would have put ahead of him, I think, too. But I definitely, definitely have Jalen Suggs ahead of him. Before we get into that hot take, which we will be referencing, uh, <laughs> the next tier down for most people is Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga. I tend to put Scotty Barnes up a tier into that star tier and push down Kaminga into the next tier. It's like, hey, he's probably going to be a solid starter at the next level. Not a guy that I would want being the second or third option on my team, but like that's a common Harrison Barnes, Rudy Gay kind of traits. I would say uh, is anything that I said there completely wrong. No, I think that that's really, that's how I feel. Also, I, I what you said is, is very accurately how I feel. It's just also that for me, why Scotty Barnes stayed the hair down is because he really can just totally look lost on offense at times. Like I think, I think Scotty's great outcomes are great and he's one of the best players in the draft, but I think that there are a lot of not great outcomes. And then he struggles to even stay on the floor because he can, if he can't learn how to shoot and, and doesn't really have an offensive role, then there's just not enough there. So like he's a high variance guy and there are so many not good outcomes that that keeps him out of the top group. Kaminga is the other way. I think there are a lot of bad outcomes for him. I agree with you where I'm like, ah, I don't, I'm not excited about that player. 
He's also 18. He reclassified up a year. He clearly has an NBA body. I I don't think he's a, a good basketball player right now. <laughs> like that's that's harsh, but I don't think it's happening. I don't think he knows how to play NBA ball. But the package clearly is there. If you can unlock that, there's clearly the body, the the size, the talent, the raw potential. So I guess to, to me, both of those are a range of outcomes. Scotty's low end range have enough of them to keep him a little bit lower. And Kuminga, I agree. I don't want my job on the line investing in Kuminga, but he, he's the sort of guy that you hate to, to have your job on the line for. But if you didn't take him, it, it could go the other way too. I find it really funny that he's kind of dropped into that uh, Golden State Warriors tier where <laughs> it's just like, oh, wow, we just lived this like eight years ago. Yep. This is hilarious. Uh, I Yeah. I, how far away is Scotty Barnes from Ben Simmons? Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think that maybe not so far away. And I'm trying, as you asked, that I'm trying to decide which one of those two that that says more about. And I fear <laughs> that it says a lot more about Ben Simmons than it does about Scotty Barnes. But I, I do think that is a concern with Barnes, too, is I, I put a lot of stock into team building and team construct. And I think that Barnes is a really difficult team construct guy. As good as he is, if he can figure out the offense, if he actually is a point guard, or if he can learn how to hit an open corner three, that changes a lot of things. Right now, you have like a poor man's Draymond Green, which Draymond is a Hall of Famer and an elite defender. But if you take away the little things he can do on offense, it's to, to the bad Draymond games, we've all seen it then it's like, shoot, we're playing four and five on offense. How do we build this team now? And so I think that that's the problem with Barnes, as it also is, as we're seeing with Ben Simmons, where it's like clearly very good. You're a really good NBA player. You're an awesome defender. I just don't totally know how I'm supposed to build the right team around you. With Simmons, he's a good enough passer and attacker. I want to see the Bucks. Like I want to see Simmons in the Giannis sort of role. And we haven't seen that yet, and it's not going to happen with Embiid. I don't think Barnes is there. Like, Barnes isn't that good of a creator and passer and everything, but maybe he'll get there. Uh, selfishly, I want to see Scotty Barnes go to the Thunder because I feel like they have the construct to be able to kind of manipulate around what he does going forward and does going like does really well. Like, I'm not sure if I would keep Lou Dort in that situation. I'd look to try to add a, a better shooter in that situation. But like, hey, put Shea Gilgis Alexander out there, have him be like the pull-up creator, somebody like that, and then dishing off to Scotty Barnes so he could create. Mm. I think there's a lot of fun stuff there. But let's move outside of that. Uh, outside of those kind of six guys, I sort of skipped over the one that you want to talk about. <laughs> uh, who is Who do you think is going to be the best prospect in this draft outside of those six? Outside of those six, my, my big sleeper, my guy, I, I didn't even really feel like he's a sleeper. I didn't realize he was going to be so low on so many boards until I, I just keep being like, what, what am I missing or what are they missing? I just love Jaden Springer out of Tennessee. I, I keep seeing him at like 20, 25, 30. I've seen him in a second round on some boards. I don't get it. I, I have Jaden Springer right in that second tier of guys along with the Jalens. And, and here's the thing that I keep asking myself. If you took Jaden Springer and Jalen Suggs and swapped their contacts completely, 
and I'm not talking about just the teams. Jaden Springer is also 15 months younger than Jalen Suggs. He also had played on a hurt ankle for most of the season. And, and so when I watched Springer, the things that held him back was number one, Tennessee's offense sucked. They had no spacing. Rick Barnes, an offside. It just it wasn't happening. It was a bad spot for him. In addition, one thing uh, one thing I will say is that they're starting Eve Pons at center. And when you when you yeah. start a six foot seven guy who admittedly is an NBA caliber prospect and could probably be like somebody who plays in the NBA, but you are starting and like you're you're just inviting a switch heavy scheme that is going to make things really difficult for any ball handler that isn't like there. He just wants to develop simple reads and like he had it having, it's just yeah. impossible to be able to do that. Why did Springer not start at the beginning of the year along with Keon Johnson, by the way? I don't know. Yeah. It was, it, I mean, I, it's very, it's very strange to me. I'm, I'm pretty high on Keon Johnson. I'm, I'm very high on Eve Pons. How do I have three Tennessee guys that I'm very high on, two in my lottery, one in the top five, and Tennessee stunk this year? I mean, they didn't stink, but they 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 didn't win a tournament game. They scored like 12 points in their March Madness game. And all all answers come back to Rick Barnes. I'm I'm happy to just put it all squarely on the shoulders of Rick Barnes. I fell out of love with Rick Barnes and Kevin Durant's one season at Texas and never ever would allow myself to trust him again. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't start. I don't know what the rotations were. I don't know why Tennessee refused to ever play any shooting, uh, but it just, it made for a really rough team context. Springer wa- wasn't getting like normal minutes that he could rely on, which I think is really tough on a young player. He was a young 18 for most of the season. He was playing on a sprained ankle. So maybe that was, was part of it. Uh, reports this summer are that he's looked a lot, uh, no pun intended, I guess, but a lot springier. Like he's got a little more pop in his step. And definitely like one of the things, one of the worries watching his game is he doesn't, he didn't seem to have that burst to just turn the corner on guys and get to the rim. But that's the exact sort of thing that, that an ankle sprain or that sort of thing could really zap out of you. And you look at Suggs, Suggs is playing in like the, it is hard to imagine what better scenario you want to put a young point guard into, you know, like as an NFL fan, we talk about what's the ideal spot to put a quarterback in and you want to have blocking. You want to have like great receivers and a good running game. Gonzaga had great blocking and good receivers and a running game. Like they had everything. They had all the shooting, all the spacing, great coaching, one of the greatest offenses of all time. And Suggs was part of that. But if you swapped them, and said, okay, Springer is healthy, and he's also 15 months ahead. He's developed. He's, he's had that extra time to learn his game and grow his body, grow his mind for the game. Would Gonzaga have gotten undefeated to the title game? I think yes. I think Springer holds his own in that scenario. And what does Suggs look like in that Tennessee spot? Are we as enamored and excited about him? I don't know. It's I think he struggles in that spot. I think that we start to look at him and say like, boy, this guy can't really get to the basket on his own or create his own shot quite as much. He's not quite turning the corner. The same way we're saying that about Springer, he's not hitting with shot. There's not space there. He's really streaky. Those are all things that happen at Gonzaga. It's just that they scored a hundred points with all the other guys. and It didn't matter that much. So I don't know. For, for me, Springer is just a very high floor, well-rounded guy. 
He's a really good defender. He's a really smart defender. His shooting numbers aren't a concern. They actually were pretty good. There just wasn't a lot of them this year. So I don't know that we can be super confident that they're great, but there's just, there's nothing really I don't like about Springer. The one thing I didn't was the lack of burst and that like high-end athleticism. But if that's because he was hurt, then that can solve that problem. He's one of the youngest college prospects. I just feel like there's a lot of reasons to like him. I totally agree with you, man. Like he's, he's somebody who I identified very early in the process and thought, wow, okay, this is, this is just going to be my guy throughout this process. This is, this is great. Like I found him first try, like he literally was the first guy that I scouted. So it was awesome. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Do you remember if the ankle was the left ankle or the right ankle? I do not remember. Okay. I don't know. Because I, I, I know one of the concerns with him was that he's a two foot leaper and I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know whether that's a really bad thing or if it's just a, a very specific thing because we've seen Donovan Mitchell, he's a great two foot leaper and he's continued to do that. And so much of what he does still consistently, like he dunks off of two feet every time, like he's not dunking off of one foot. What are we talking about? So I, I think that there are definitely mechanisms for an 18 year old to learn how to jump off of one foot as opposed to two, especially as he continues to grow and develop and learn the game. But there seems to be such a great foundation here. Like he, he seems like a guy who's going to be a plus, a plus defender very quickly. And as he continues to learn and operate in an NBA offense, like he may not be a primary playmaker, but could he average 15, four and four, like as the secondary playmaker of a championship caliber team? Sure. And which if, if that's the case, so you could get somebody like that pretty late in the process, then I feel pretty good about it. So he's he's the guy that I locked yeah. onto for sure. Uh, there are others that I, I want to make mention of really quick. Josh Giddy to me is a like I think he's a really, really interesting prospect for a team that needs additional playmaking. Uh, it appears that Memphis is a team that wants to trade up to try to get him. Uh, there are other teams that are very interested in that. Uh, James Booknight is fine. Like he's, he's another guy that I think has a claim to it, but I, I, I wouldn't be the one to invest in that for a lot of the reasons that you shared about Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, guys like that. And then Franz Uh, Wagner, why do you have Franz Wagner so low? So I guess, I guess the way I would answer that question is why does everyone have Franz Wagner so high? (laughs) Because (laughs) I, 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 I quite like him. I think that he's good. I think he's like a very nice complimentary piece. I think he's a good connector. He's a, he's a very good team defender. He's smart. He has a good feel for the game. He's, he's nothing on offense. He doesn't shoot. He's a nice passer, but he's not going to be likely in a role where that matters that much. Like I think we sometimes overrate passing with guys who are going to end up as the fourth or fifth best player. Like, Like, it doesn't matter. We just watched the finals. It doesn't really matter if Mikhail Bridges is a smart passer. It matters a little bit. You want him to make the smart pass. But, like, when you touch the ball three times all quarter, it's it doesn't – I'm not drafting you because you were a smart passer in that spot. And I just – I feel like with Wagner, he's a good defender. He's a smart defender. But he's not quick enough, I think, to to guard – to defend guards enough. He's not going to be a rim protector. So he's probably going to be your third best defender, which he will be. He'll be good. And he's going to be your worst offensive option or maybe second worst if the shot starts to develop a little bit. So you've got a player who's a nice piece, a good part of your team. 
He's your fourth or fifth best option on offense. He's a good middle of the row. He's a third defender. I want that player. I want him on my team. I compared him to like the high end outcome. Maybe he's like a Robert Ory type. Robert Ory has like rings for his fingers and his toes. Like that's a, that's a nice thing to be Robert Ory, but also I'm not taking what Robert Ory was coming into the NBA at like number eight or nine. Like that's just insane. That's not where that kind of player goes. So I just, I don't see, I see very clearly what Wagner is supposed to be in the NBA and it's good. I want that player on my team. I just don't really know where the upside goes from there. Like what, where is the high end outcome? The NBA is a star driven league and always will be. And I don't see many high end outcomes. I see a lot of good outcomes, but in the lottery, I'm, I'm usually swinging for the fence. You know, we've got a couple teams this year, like the Warriors, the Raptors at number four, where it's a pretty good team. And, and you, you know, I feel a little better about taking a high floor ready now guy than, than a swing for the fence guy. Right. I, I would love to get Wagner on one of those teams where I have him, you know, toward the end of the first great. Every team can use Wagner there because he can go right into the playoff rotation. That sounds good. I just, I don't really understand why people are like, Oh yeah. Top eight or top 10. Like that's just not how we draft guys like that. Usually. Yeah. It's also possible that the defense doesn't translate to the fullest extent that's being talked about with him. And he also shot like 34% from three. So like, is he, is he a 40% three point shooter? Because that's what I, uh, that's what I would hope for in this situation, but it's all good. Uh, Let's get into this next part of this conversation. Uh, The nuggets, they are not really in a position to trade up. Let me just talk about some of the, the assets that they have in order. Actually, let me, let me talk about the reason why we've heard some things and I've heard some things personally over the course of the last 24 hours or so. And this has been spoken about by Kevin O'Connor by Jonathan Gavoni that Denver, there's at least some smoke about them wanting to move up and, and there's questions about who that player would be, but I have to imagine Look, if your non-tradables are Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, and Aaron Gordon, who you just acquired, you're probably looking for a two-guard. You're probably looking for at least a combo guard or a two-guard in that situation that you could pencil into that lineup going forward, feel pretty good about it. That's that's what my guess would be. Am I off base in thinking that? No, I mean, I think so. I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, you're the Denver expert here, but like what you just said is exactly what I feel. I don't know why you're trading away one of those four, certainly not in a, in a draft move up trade. You're not trading one of those four. And if that's your four, there's a really obvious fit. I mean, I guess rather than a pigeonholed two guard, we don't know uh, when Jamal Murray will be ready. So if you want more of like a combo guard, somebody, I don't think you're drafting a true point guard, but there aren't that many guys like that anymore these days anyway. So, you know, uh, more of a combo guard who can run the offense a little bit as well and maybe help the team survive this season until Jamal is ready, that I could see that a little bit. But it's it's hard to imagine what else the trade-up would be for if that's what's happening. I'd have to imagine that even more so than like – a like I, there are certain combo guards that I would consider, like Springer or somebody that I would consider. Uh, there's like, like Davion Mitchell, I might consider that if, if they felt like he could be a really great point of attack defender, like there, there are things in there that I could definitely consider. But when you look at the rest of their roster, if you're not trading one of those top four guys, 
the only other six guys that they have on their roster that are really available to trade, Monte Morris, P.J. Dozier, Faku Campazzo, Zeke Naji, Bol Bol, Vlaco Chanchar. Right off the bat, like, if, if Murray's out for a while, then you'd like to retain Monte Morris because he's a great guy to kind of step yep. in and fill the gap. Like, that. that's something that you would want. P.J. Dozier. If Will Barton doesn't come back, you'd like him to be able to step in as the starting shooting guard until somebody like that is ready. Or maybe maybe you're looking at free agency in order to do that. So, Faku Campazzo, if Morris is the starting shooting guard, then you need a backup shooting guard. And Faku's probably that guy. And then you look at the other three guys, Zeke Naji, Bol Bol, Vlako Chanchar. Zeke Naji is somebody that they really like, but he's probably the only guy who has significant value in terms of like, hey, if a team that wants to move up, like he's the only guy that I think they really consider beyond like a bowl bowl or a Vlaco uh, to move up more than like, say four or five spots. Cause it looks like Denver wants to move into the top 20. Like I, I could see a team like Houston being like, okay, Hey, we will let you leapfrog us and uh, the LA Clippers. So we can acquire bowl bowl and have that little lottery ticket, And we'll just move down a couple spots. I, but like beyond that, like, I don't think bowl bowl or Vlaco is getting you anywhere. So Denver is really no. asset poor. They don't have the access to trade there. They have they have 26. They don't have any other picks this year. They have they they cannot trade their 2022 first, their 2023 first, their 2024 first, their 2025 first, or their 2026 first. They could trade 2027, which is great. But you and then they don't have their next 3 years of second round picks either. So they don't have 2021, 2022, 2023. So they're asset poor right now. It is going to be pretty difficult to move up in the draft, which is why if they are going to move up, I think they'd move Monte Morris or PJ Dozier. And they just have to hope and pray that whoever they get is really good and can play immediately. And maybe they bring back Will Barton and maybe they can figure it out from there. But does that all makes sense logically in your mind and is there somebody in this draft that you feel like yes you could trade up for this player and he could play rotation minutes immediately yeah i think what you said jives really well i I think the problem here is that the people like monte morris pj dozier faku Campazu, we just saw them they're good playoff performers they they're not stars. They're not supposed to be stars. Nobody listening thinks that they're stars, but they're good. They're good players. They play well with the, the scheme. They fit well around Jokic. They are more valuable to Denver than they are to somebody else. And that's the problem because how do you make the trade then? They're, they're more valuable to Denver because you already know that they fit well. They fit the team culture. They fit the scheme. And they're more valuable because Murray's out and you need those guys on the team. And it is, you know, even as much as I just gushed about James Springer, Denver is trying to win right now when James Springer is 18. That's not how the NBA works. Like, you don't draft an 18-year-old and be like, okay, you're the starting point guard now while while our other guy is coming back. So let's make the playoff run and get like a top two or three seed. That's not how it works when you're 18 or 19, as he will be. So it's it's tough because, yeah, I agree. I I think like bowl, bowl, sure, you know, a few spots. If somebody just wants to take the flyer, if you're the team at 20, 21, 22, and you're like, ah, the guy that we want is going to be there in a few picks anyway, why not grab an asset? Sure. But how far did that really get you? I don't know. Um, 
I, you know, Najee, I think, like you said, is, is the one asset that could really move you up a ways, but you just took him and you like him and you invested in him. And effectively, you're trading two first round picks for a higher first round pick at that point, um, which that that's really your way to do that. And I don't know, it, it's tough. I, I thought of like Jared Butler as a guy that I could see, you know, a little bit readier to step in and play play a bigger role. Davion Mitchell, maybe I, I love him, but fell a little bit out of love with him as an NBA prospect as I went about the draft process. Um, I don't know. It's it's really hard to to find a guard that is definitely ready to play in the NBA, and especially the way that this draft is super top heavy and then becomes very flat for a while. Um, I think we have like a top five. That's great. And then I think we're missing that next five, six, seven tier, that that upper middle class tier. And that's why it's so hard to figure out what's happening at number six, at number seven, number eight. We have no idea. It changes every day. And I think the reason is because there's not that guy. There's there's not that player to get drafted. Kuminga is still going to go in that range, even though everyone is, is slipping on him. And like Book Knight and Davion Mitchell are probably still going to go in that range because we don't have somebody else that's supposed to go there. What we do have is like 15 or 20 guys in the next group. And, and in some ways, Denver at 26 is in a great spot because it's right at the back end of that tier. And if, if you like, you don't want to move up in the same tier, that's not a good use of assets usually. So if the evaluation is that there's this big cluster of middle players then you can't really pay that much to move up in that same cluster and just get your slight preference to it. Now, for me, Jaden Springer is a, a couple tiers above that. He's worth trading up for. I just don't know if Denver specifically is the team to do that. If he's there later and, he, and you just fall into him, by all means, like make, make the move. But I, I think it's, it's tough to find the trade that, that fits and has the payoff. All right, let me throw a couple moves at you then, just just like a hypothetical deal or two. Uh, Nuggets call Indiana. They have the 13th pick. Indiana's been rumored they want to get help now. Uh, Monte Morris would be somebody that could help them now. Malcolm Brogdon, like he is going to start at point guard in all likelihood, but then you have that flexibility where he can move to shooting guard. Everybody moves down a position. You have that flexibility. You offer Monte Morris and 26 for Jeremy Lamb as matching salary and 13. Who says no? I think Indiana has to say no to that one. I feel like if I, my, my immediate instinct is that Denver would have to strongly consider that because I think Lamb can do the same sort of thing. He can fill a role. He, he can, you know, he's going to shoot. He's going to be able to, to fit well enough on Denver. And Coming off a major injury the ways in the draft. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Like I, I'd rather have Monte Morris, but I feel like I could, I feel like I can rely on Lamb to be a veteran and like put put somebody who's kind of a good player into Denver's team context and they're going to be better kind of a good player. That's what happens when you play with Jokic. And so I don't mind giving him a chance. You kind of change what the team need is. I feel like Monte Morris is, is worth giving up and moving up to number 13. I feel like for Indiana, I don't really see it from that end. I, I'm not sure that that moves the needle enough for me to bring in Monte Morris unless I have other moves. Like if I've got something lined up for Brogdon or something else, then maybe that's part of the dominoes. But otherwise, I think I'm moving down too far in that case. 
Yeah, I'm thinking for them either even like a a Turner or Sabonis move combined with one of their other wings for a better wing or forward or something like that. And then you can have flexibility to do some other things too. But uh, it's it's at least a thought that in that general range, I think Josh Giddy, Moses Moody, Davion Mitchell, Chris Duarte, Denver trying to move up to 13 in that scenario, get somebody who can help them now. Uh, yeah. Next, Denver calls New York. They have the 19th pick. Denver offers Monte Morris and 26 for Kevin Knox, Obi Toppin, and a 19. Who says no? I think New York has to say no because I don't think that he necessarily should be the reason you say no, but it's you can't sell your fans on that trade when Obi Toppin is in there. You just took him in the top 10 a year ago. He's a fan favorite. He shouldn't be the reason that you say no to it. I think if you took him out and put in a different sort of salary than maybe like Kevin Knox, sure, you know, put him in Denver. Let's see what you can come up, what comes of it. I think that Morris to 19 is maybe a fair deal. New York, I don't think can sell to the fans giving up on, on Obi just one year in when they invested so much. No, I'm with you there. Uh, one of the things I would talk about uh, maybe instead of Monte, maybe it's PJ Dozier who kind of fits that mold a little bit better. And he instead, like maybe it's like PJ Dozier and 26 for 19 and 32, something like that. And you could probably sell New York on that where they get an immediate contributor. They don't have to draft somebody immediately. Uh, that's something that I would at least consider if I were Denver, because then maybe that puts you in a position where you can move up to get Jaden Springer at that point, And you don't give up Monte Morris in that scenario. Yeah. Uh, and you get another pick and at 32 and that's, that would be something interesting, but um, it's, it's, it's a tough situation, man. Like Denver, they don't have a lot of assets to throw out there in order to move up. And a lot of the assets it's made more difficult that Jamal Murray's coming off an ACL tear. So like you're trying to figure out how to balance the contention and the win later mode, because, Hey, you need Murray to be help, healthy in order to be a champion. And he just might not be healthy next year. So maybe the logic is to punt this year. And to try to develop somebody, develop Michael Porter as that second option. And then when Murray comes back the following year, then you're ready. But it's a tough place where Denver is right now. So uh, tell you what. Okay, let's no. take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the 26th pick specifically. Just let's We'll go over a list of players that we like for that spot and just, just kind of uh, break it down from there. We'll be right back. Back, pick action roll. Ryan Blackman here, joined today by Brandon Anderson. Had some great discussion here about the top of the draft. Uh, Denver potentially moving up. We don't know. Probably not. Like I, I would, I would definitely wager probably not at this at this stage, despite the fact that I know that they want to. Uh, okay, let us assume that the draft is coming and going at this point, and we're through the first 20, 25 picks, and all of the green room guys are gone. Uh, including Jalen Johnson, Isaiah Jackson, who were kind of the last names involved in that. And I'm not sure if I would touch them with a 10 foot pole at this point, but uh, Denver, they don't make any trades. They're still at 26. Their, their pick comes up. Jaden Springer. He's the guy who's on the board. 
he's a guy that like, okay, you're definitely taking him. You're running to the podium if he gets there. Correct. hundred percent. Correct. I, I, I'm already on my way up. Like I, I'm sprinting with a name on the card just in case he's not taken like two picks before. So that like I'm tackling Adam Silver at the podium, ready to hand in the card. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we've, we've talked about him. And like a six four, six eight wingspan, athletic, versatile playmaker, uh, can shoot the ball. A little bit worried about whether he could shoot it at a high volume, but that's something that an eighteen year old can probably learn to do by twenty two. Um, Deuce McBride, you have him a little bit lower than the consensus, I would say. Uh, how come? Because he seems like a guy who I I think would fit really well for you. Yeah, so that's interesting. I, I ended up actually moving Deuce McBride up a lot in my ring. Well, not a oh, lot, okay. but a significant amount for me up from, from where I had him as, as recently as a few days ago. Like, I think I basically have him, I, I think I have him at 31 on, on my final big board, which for me, well, was moving him up a ways. I think that's part crazy. of that is, yeah, part of that for me is I think that I anchored a little too quickly into Oh, okay. A West Virginia guard. Oh, Javon Carter. I know what this looks like. And I think that I locked in a little too quickly onto like, okay, this is just that, you know, that like pit bull defender point guard. And I, you know, how, how long have we seen Bob Huggins teams have that guy? And I don't like a lot of Bob Huggins guys into the NBA. So I think I locked into that a little too early. And so this last week, as I've been doing all my position rankings, I, I, I kind of just threw everything out, all my notes from the year, all my rankings and everything. I started fresh and say, OK, it's been a while. We just watch a whole NBA playoffs. I haven't looked at these guys for a long time. Based on all my notes, let me read the notes and form a new opinion of what I think about this guy. And Deuce was a guy that when I did that and came in with fresh eyes, I was like, man, what am I not liking about him? Like, he's, he's good. He's a good player. I remember early on being like, well, he's supposed to be this awesome defender, and I'm not really seeing him. Like, I remember Javon Carter just hounding dudes and just, like, driving them crazy. That's really not McBride as much. I think, he like, he makes a difference, but he's a little bit better of a team defender, and, and that can go a little bit uh, less noticeable if you're not really watching closely for it. The big difference, of course, is that he actually has an offensive bag. Like, he can do stuff. He added a jumper that's really confident this year. His shooting surprised me, again, because I have this idea of what he was supposed to be. And I looked and I was like, man, the shooting numbers are pretty good. Like, he's a guy – he's a guy I could easily see looking back and being like, yeah, I probably should have moved him up another five, ten spots on the board. Like, I I love – you know, late first, early second. I love that kind of veteran point guard who's going to just come in on a cheap contract and, and run, you know, be, be Monte Morris. Come in and run your backup unit, be able to fill in when needed, fit the right lineup, maybe play off the ball if you can. It's a great spot to get that kind of guy, and I feel like Deuce is exactly a, for, for that. Six nine wingspan, athletic, somebody who jumps really high. Like he he's very similar to Jaden Springer in terms of man, that's that's a pretty close comparison in terms of being able to move and jump the way that he does. Uh Springer might even be a little bit more athletic, and maybe that's why there's a, a little bit of separation there. But I consider McBride to be like my second choice at 26 in terms wow. of okay, Jaden Springer's not there. 
Deuce McBride. I'm not sure if there's another good guard slash wing that I feel good can defend in a situation where Denver needs them to be able to guard the basketball. Like I, I do generally believe that Deuce McBride could be that guy. He compared himself to Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart in our uh, media interviews back a couple weeks ago. Will he ever reach that level? Probably not. But Holiday was a guy who was drafted 21st overall anyway. So I'm, I'm willing to bet on a guy who has that level of skill on the offensive end is willing to take those big shots that he was at West Virginia. And they turned to him when they needed a big basket and like having the cojones, the gall to be able to do that at his position, like, and he was successful with that. So that's, that's something that I am. I would be very, I would be remiss if I did not mention that as somebody like he's a gamer, he's somebody who I would trust in the playoffs a hundred percent. Yeah, that was the thing I noticed looking back on my notes is like six different times, you know, I label it by a game in like six different games. I, I made a note like this dude is a baller. Like this dude showed up for the moment. And like, I'm not, that's not the sort of notes that I make. Normally I'm making like very nerdy analytical sort of notes. And when I just run out of analytical things, I'm just like awesome in all caps or something. Like <laughs> I noticed a lot of those kind of things where it's just like, it just, it was the moment and it was a close game. And this dude just showed up. He made the steal. He shut down on defense. He hit the jumper. Like th- this is a, this is a guy. Like he's gonna be a fan favorite. Who wherever he ends up, he's gonna be a guy that that you're like proud to have a deuce on your team because he's gonna fight hard. And he's gonna you know a February night in Tuesday when you're you're rotating a few guys out and, and you're bringing your bench unit in, and the uh, the opponent is like, oh sweet, we're missing three starters tonight. We got an easy one. Well, Deuce played 40 minutes that night and then like made your life living hell. And actually you won the game because of it. Like that's the sort of guy that he, he brings to your team. I love it. I like at 26, it's hard for me to ask for more than that. So that's a, that's a good idea for me. Uh, Jared Butler uh, came off of a Baylor run, went back to school, won a title, was the best player there. Like even over Davion Mitchell, uh, I, that's something that is kind of disconnecting to me. Like I, I kind of grade out Butler as better than Davion Mitchell, but like it doesn't seem like a lot of other people do. Uh, what about Butler? Do you think could like could he be a starter for a team like the Nuggets? I, I love Jared Butler for the Nuggets. Like for me, he would be uh, very high on on my list of of Nuggets options. Were he to be there, uh, we should mention. Uh, there, there's whispers at least of like Butler's serious injury concerns that, you know, neither of us are privy to, to know exactly what that is. Like there, there were talks that he might be like off draft boards completely, or, and maybe not even be able to stay in the draft. And I don't know enough about what that is. So if he does slide, I'm going to assume, like if he really slides, I'm going to assume that that's playing into the, the reason for it, because I don't know what the other reason is. Butler is a good defender. He's another one of those guys that I first noticed him last year when I was not really paying a lot of attention to Baylor from a draft perspective. They're very good. They were like a top three team all year. I tuned into a Baylor Kansas game to watch a few Kansas guys. And I remember just being like, yo, who is this Butler dude? That's the best player on the court. And in that game, it was, it was near the end of the season before the pandemic shut things down. They were one and two. They were the two best teams in college basketball. And I remember just being like, 
like asking a couple of draft buddies, hey, why is no one talking about Jared Butler? This was the two best teams in basketball, two elite defenses, and he was clearly the best guy out there. He's a great shooter. I love watching him because you could show me any shot, just like zoom in on Butler and only show him and be like, when was this shot from? I'll get it wrong every time because every single Butler shot is identical. His shoulders are square. The ball is centered. His feet are set. His, he has that motion down and his shot numbers prove it. He's over 40% on threes. I think this year, his free throw percentage is super high. He's really smart. He's really intuitive. He's, he's one of those winning player kind of guys. I love that he could play on ball or off ball because of the shooting He's not a guy who's going to like gripe about his role. I feel like he, he would be an absolute ideal player to me for Denver. He's a guy where uh, he, he reminds me, I guess, some of kind of how Monte Morris is like, I just feel like he could slot in. He'd play super well off of Jokic. If I absolutely needed him to, you never want a rookie point guard leading your team. But if I needed him to, Butler is probably a guy that I could slot in and, and let him hold his own because he's going to play his game. He's going to play his pace. He's not going to try to do anything too crazy or make a ton of turnovers. He's going to play good basketball. And sometimes you just need a good basketball player. I agree with that. And, and there's something to be said about just adding a player who you know is going to succeed and can continue that. Uh, We were just talking about whether trading Monte Morris is the right idea in order to move up the draft. Uh, Denver's going to have to have a lot of those conversations with these guys that aren't their, their main four. Uh, because if you can get a guy like Jared Butler and then you can use a guy like Monte Morris to then go acquire the next piece of your rotation that you need to win a championship, you might have to do that. You might have to be willing to do that down the line at some point. And it's tough, it's painful, but that's just the cost of being a championship-winning general manager and basketball team. Uh, So Jared Butler, like if if he's going to be good and you worry about whether the other guys are going to be good, I think there's at least logic to that. Um, Three other guys here who I think all have more kind of, I would grade them as second rounders. I'm not sure if others would grade them as second rounders. Trey Mann, Bones Highland, Josh Christopher. These are your shooters. These are your scorers. These are guys who you feel like, okay, you can give them the ball and they're going to be productive as uh, potential options, whether now or down the line to be able to give you some assistance as a scoring threat Uh, with Jamal Murray out. Do any of those guys ring true as players that you could incorporate into a rotation right now and have the ability to do so? Yeah, I I love that you brought up Bones Highland and Trey Mann together because I really feel like the general consensus has these guys flipped exactly backwards of where they ought to be. For both of these guys, you're not really drafting a a point guard. Neither one of these guys is going to run your offense and, and make all these great passes and pass teammates open. You know, they'll pass, they'll be fine, but that's, that's really not the point. The point is you're drafting Trey Mann or you're drafting Bones Highland for that jumper. You just want them to come in and hit the open shot, but you also know that they can make their own jumper off the dribble, create a little space, and then just hit that wet, awesome jumper. Like, like close your eyes and picture a good jumper where like the ball goes to the net and you hear it. You hear the, like the net, like just screams in delight because the ball has gone through so perfectly. (laughs) That's, that's bones. And that's man. 
here's the difference. Trey Mann is tiny. He grew like two or three inches this year, but he's got super short arms. I think he has like a uh, like a six four. Wait, is that right? Like a six four wingspan. Like he he's he's too short. He's not going to be a good defender. Guys who are as small as Trey Mann, historically, you basically have to have like an elite handle and an awesome awesome jump shot to even have a chance of staying on the court. And even then, you kind of get hunted on defense, as I think Mann would be. Bones Highland was really bad at defense at VCU. He was really bad. He gave no effort. But my hope is that he gave no effort because he was asked to do so much on offense and create so many shots. What I like about him is he got really long arms, and he looks like what should be a good defender. He clearly isn't right now, but I have, I think Bones actually is a really nice sleeper. I have him borderline lottery for me. I think he's going to be a really nice value. And to me... I've seen man a lot of times in that range for many people. I'm not there. I'm, I'm, I'm out on man I, for the same reason. Why take him when I can get bones later. And I think bones is better when I trust the shooting a little bit more man's shooting really came about this season, especially. And I, I just, I don't really know what everyone is seeing with man. I like bones a lot better. Christopher is a little different to me. I do like him. He, to me, is more of like a 3 and D sort of guy. I think he can fit in pretty well. He's another one where he, he really has a good body for defense. He should be a good defender with some coaching in the right context. And he, he plays like he thinks he's Kevin Durant, which is either really good or really bad. And we don't really know yet because if he thinks he's Kevin Durant and is not and not making the shots, then you don't want him on a playoff team like Denver. But, you know... Michael Porter Jr. probably thinks he's Kevin Durant too. And it's real nice to see him drop 20 and a quarter sometimes. So it's nice to have guys with that kind of confidence. And Christopher is one of those guys I could see like win you a playoff quarter sometime where he's just as like, I'm coming in, I'm taking the shot, let's go. And I feel like with all three of these guys, that's kind of what you're looking for is that, that bench spark and some scoring. Uh, one other guy that I'm, I'm going to just briefly mention I know your opinions on him. Josh Primo, uh, youngest player in the draft. We don't really know what he is yet. It, the, the value in him is that he's super malleable. Uh, he's 18 years old, the youngest player in the draft, and that seems to be coming up very consistently and why people are wanting to draft him. Uh, whether he can show what he showed in high school and in other leagues other than when he played at Alabama, like he wasn't exactly given a large role at Alabama. So it's hard to, it's hard to grade him on that when other, like he was the fifth option in that case and other veterans were uh, given more opportunities than he was, but he also didn't take those opportunities and didn't earn them. So that's, uh, that's something to be considered there. Uh, He's been mocked to Denver several times. I don't see it. I think Denver needs somebody who's at least ready soon if not like Agreed. now. Um, Ayo Dosumu and Jolie Iyer, the last uh, combo guards that I'm thinking of. Ayo, somebody that is like he's from, like he plays at Illinois, somebody who I think a lot of the local folks would be very happy with. 6'5, six, 6'9 uh, six, wingspan. He's athletic, he's versatile, won the best point guard award in college. Like, what's not to like about him? It's hard because I'm in Illinois. No, I, and everybody here loves the dude. And for me, I just can't shake the feeling like in, in baseball, sometimes you, you talk about prospects as like a quadruple a guy, a guy that 
is not quite a major leaguer, but he's clearly awesome on the next level down. And I just can't shake the feeling that that's, that's what Desunmo is. I, I fear that his game is, is largely predicated on his size and athleticism advantages. Like, I think that's really what he does, but I don't think that he has huge size or awesome athleticism. I think he has good for college in those things. And if you take those away and, and, and he's also very thin He's I don't know how much strength he's gonna be able to add. And like, when you take some of those things away and those big advantages, I, I don't know if I trust enough of what's left there. Um, it didn't help that the final game against Loyola in March Madness, which was a tough physical, more NBA type defense. And I, I thought it was a really bad final game for him. He had six turnovers. He couldn't make his stamp on the game. Like the whole thing with him is you want him to attack the rim. You want him to push the pace and like really play, you know, Jasunmu sort of ball. And it just didn't happen in that game. Like he physically, he couldn't, he couldn't measure up. And if that's what happens against a bunch of boys from Loyola, what happens in the NBA? And I just, I feel like the things that he specifically is good at are things that won't be as strong of strength in the NBA. And I don't know if I see enough left besides that. Wasn't Santi Aldama from, from Loyola? Am I, am I crazy there? Like he's uh he was the I think a different, different Loyola. Hmm. Okay. There yeah, are a lot enough. of Loyola. <laughs> There, there are Loyola's everywhere. Loyola's I, I everywhere. do I do want to say that I, I, I love Joel Ayayi. He's someone, I, I think I, I have him just inside my top 25. I would love him at Denver. He's, he's, a, he's a guy who, and we talked about Franz Wagner earlier as this like really excellent connecting piece. That's what I think about Joel Ayayi. I actually have them back to back in my rankings. Ayayi was, is, he's, he's good. He was really good at Gonzaga and he was really good doing the exact thing you want him to do. If you want him on your NBA team, he shoots, he's an awesome cutter, maybe the best in the, in the draft. So he's, he's getting a lot of easy buckets. He's a guy that you get to the end of the game and you're like, Oh yeah, he scored 14. I don't really remember him doing that much, but it's because he just like yeah, you would score so many good, easy cuts off of Jokic, just finding space and getting open he can hit the open shot. He's a good passer. He's not a great passer. He's not going to like run a lot of pick and roll, but he's going to make smart passes and move things along. He's long. He's a good team defender. He's not great at any of the stuff. He's not going to be awesome, but he, he's going to be like a, a really nice seventh man, maybe even become like a starting two guard. And that's very valuable at that point of the draft. So I, I like him a lot. He's one of those guys that, yeah, when you get to that range toward the end of the first for a Denver or one of those other contenders, I, I won't be at all surprised when next spring, like I love to, 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 to tag those guys who are like, okay, who does no one even know exists right now? And next spring they're playing 20, 25 minutes and everyone's like, whoa, where did Ayayi come from? Why did no one draft him? <laughs> That's him. Like he's going to be one of those guys playing actual minutes on a playoff team and everyone will be mad that they let him go so far, I think. I like it. Uh, he He's not Pat Conson, like, but he's a guy that, like, if you look at some of the 
if you look at some of the rosters that have been very successful in the playoffs, like Pat Connaughton's a guy that, oh, wow, he wasn't super valuable for a couple of the rounds, but he was incredibly important for another couple of rounds where he helped them get through certain spots. And Ayayi could absolutely be that at six with five elite cutter, like you said, also elite offensive rebounder. Like that's something that really stands out yes. about him. Just he finds the yes. gaps really well. And on a team like Denver, where they've got so much motion and they've got so many guys that are going to command uh, attention with Jokic and Porter and Murray, like Ayayi, you throw him in there, you have him crash the glass on occasion, like he will get those opportunities. So that's a good shout. Uh, four wings and forwards that I want to go at before, uh, before we head out of here. Uh, Quinton Grimes, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Kessler Edwards, and Zaire Williams. Very different players, all four of them. Uh, if you had to rank them one to four in terms of who Denver should be looking to take to win a championship over the next three years, who would you take? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think that I have to put Zaire number one. He's not someone that I would think to put number one for Denver because I don't think he's super ready yet. So I don't love that part of it. But Zaire is literally number 10 on my draft board and number one among my small forwards. So uh, he, I need to know why, because he's... like, like he, he had an awful year, just, just awful, awful. real good, no bad, yeah. very bad year at Stanford. But I've documented some of the reasons for that. Like, why do you have him there? So this is the first year that I ever did home, like real homework on high school players before the college season. Like more than just a few McDonald's All-American clips sort of thing. Like actually watched games and scouted. And I'm very curious when I look back in a year or two what I will think about that. Because there are definitely guys that I developed very strong priors on that then I got to the college season and was like, well, this, yeah, Zaire was terrible. He was nothing. If I knew nothing about him and then only watched what I saw only from the season, He'd be nowhere near as high on my board. And I'd be like, why is everyone ranking Zaire Williams in the lottery or whatever, which everyone's not. Um, And so I I don't know. I don't know yet. Like, I I think that it makes sense to think about like this season, he was bad, but here's why he was bad. Some very good reasons. Number one, he missed a bunch of time injured. That's always hard. Number two, Stanford literally didn't get to practice or play any home games or home practices ever the whole season because of COVID. They had to go to an entirely different county just to run a practice. And you are an 18-year-old, maybe 19-year-old. I think he's a little bit older. But you're you're at Stanford, which I'm just going to assume since it's Stanford is like running some complicated offense because it's Stanford, by the way. Not even that. Like, like, like you have to keep up with your studies in order to do stuff. Like, and, and yeah. maybe, maybe for athletes, yeah, it's, it's a little slightly different. Like, it's it's freaking yeah. Stanford. Like, it's I I've tried to stress this a couple times on the podcast before. Like, yeah. anybody that goes there and chooses to go there while also being an athlete, like you have a death wish in terms of your time allotted for yourself. Right. Yeah, I, I think too. Uh, if I'm remembering right, I think he missed a section during the middle of the year with like a death in the family or something like, yep. it just, it, it was an, it was a nightmare year. And to me, 
like the the year we just saw should be the most important year because it's the player it's the the most developed version of a player so it's not okay to just throw that out but if ever there was a time to throw out what we saw we just listed off a lot of reasons to throw what we saw from Zaire what we saw wasn't very good there are flashes there were moments he can really pass the ball the shot can look really good sometimes the results were really bad at Stanford but it looks pretty good He's really long. There's a lot of tools there. And I liked a ton what I saw of him in high school that I that I still saw glimpses of in moments. Like when, when it felt like he got out of his head and just got to be an instinctive player. And it did, did not happen very often. But when it did, I was like, ah, yes, there's the Zaire that I was about to drop out of my top 20. And I, I got to keep him in my lottery because I remember that he's there. I don't know yet. Will I look back in two years and be like, yeah, you should trust what you saw. He was not good. And he like, we like because you played college players now and you played a higher level. And there, there are a lot of other good reasons you might not be as good as you once were. B.J. Boston at Kentucky is, is another guy where I loved him in high school. I kept him near my top 10 in lottery all year. Despite that, everything I saw at Kentucky, he was terrible. He never was good. I finally dropped him all the way almost out of my first round because I kept reading my notes and being like, sorry, that if I didn't see what I saw a year ago, I just, I don't even know that I'd have him on my draft board at all. So by, by the grace of Brandon, have I included you still in my top 30? That's my compromise. I, I liked you before. I hate you now. I'll give you a chance somewhere in the middle there. So Zaire is a little bit higher end of that version for me. I think he's going to shoot. I, I like his, his chances. And if you're Denver, I don't love the fit on the timeline, but if, if you have a chance to draft the guy that's number 10 on my board and the other guys that you mentioned are way lower, I'd have to take him. Kessler Edwards would be my second choice just because I know he can shoot. The shot is really clear, uh, great numbers and, and a lot of numbers behind it, to, you know, a lot of volume. So we know that the shot is there. Very um, weird looking, though, I will say. Yes, <laughs> a very a very odd shot, but, you know, the results speak for themselves. I don't really trust that there's a lot more happening than the shot. And I think sometimes when we're scouting, we get a little too in love with shooting because it is so important and forget that, like, hey, by the way, you have to be on the court in order to shoot. Like, you have to do other stuff, too, by the way, which, you know, <clears throat> Coor Kispert, who is not in my top 30 <laughs> and should not be anywhere near the lottery, um, yeah, but I think, I don't know what Castle Edwards will be able to necessarily do outside of just the shooting, but I, I like him there. Who are the other two names that I'm thinking about here? Uh, it's, it's Quentin Grimes and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I just want to point out Robinson Earl. I watched his entire Baylor versus Villanova game. Like his, his final game of the season, he started at center. He's six foot nine, two forty. Like Baylor goes on to win the national championship, but they only score 62 points in that game against Villanova where you've got this six foot nine guy who's going to play power for it at the next level, maybe some small ball center. I swear to God, the reason why Baylor won the national title was because they avoided Jeremiah Robinson Earl at all costs on the defensive end. They got him switched out onto uh, Davion Mitchell, and then they would pass it over to Jared Butler so that he could ISO somebody else. It was incredible. I've never seen anybody do that for a four or five. It was unbelievable. They just said, no, we are not doing this. And they won because the Villanova guards suck. 
Yeah, I I absolutely adore Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He was one of my favorite players to watch these the last two seasons. I was very high on him last year. I had him like around the edge of my lottery all year. I had him around that area this year as well. Here's the problem. I love Robinson Earl. He's an incredible, smart team defender. I think all the things you just said about his defense – what you just said makes me, again, worry a little bit more about Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. The worry with those guys is that they're small. The worry with Jeremiah Robinson Earl is that he's small. He's 6'9". He has a 6'9 wingspan. That doesn't play in the NBA at the four, and it definitely doesn't play at the five. You have no chance to play center minutes. I don't love him in Denver because Maybe. I don't see him as a fit with Jokic at all. He's not a good athlete. He doesn't have any vertical, like – I mean, comparatively, let, let's be real. His vertical could blow me away. So let, let's let's be let's be fair. But I, I I love if you could just give Jeremiah Robinson Earl an NBA body, he'd probably be top ten on my board. The problem is the size and the athleticism. I just I don't think that it's there. I love his instincts. He sets screens. He rules. He's a good passer. I think he can shoot a little bit. I love all the things I see in him. Like for me. I want on my team, I want to build a team around a great center, a great wing, and a great point guard. I want my twos and my fours to be connecting pieces. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl, other than the body athleticism issue, is everything I want from a four. He does all the little things, all the smart things, the switches, the defense, the communication. He's a leader. I absolutely like, I compared him, I think, in my notes to Udonis Haslam as just like, I think this dude's going to be on a team like on one team for 15 years. I think they're going to get him and just be like, we're keeping you forever. You've become a coach. You're 85 years old and still on our active roster because you're in our locker room and we just want you around and you do the good stuff. I don't know if I love him in Denver, but I I, I do love him. I, I don't know if I love him in Denver either, just because, well, I believe in Zeke Naji and I think that he's going to be your your primary four or five option, especially when Jokic is going to the bench. Like Naji can do all of those things that we just talked about. He can switch. He can do a little bit of movement with his feet. He actually hits threes really well. Uh, but, we'll, we'll, but we'll see about Kessler or not, not a uh, Robinson Earl. Like, I, I think that yeah. I will just stand for him a little bit here. His side to side athleticism is much better than his vertical athleticism. His, his start and stop uh, yes. going, yes. going down the court. It's a little bit different. And given the basketball IQ that he has, I think the side to side stuff is a lot more important. There are going to be moments where, Hey, he's driving to the rim and then he gets like 10 inches of lift and somebody blocks him over the top because he's going up against a seven footer and like, yeah, that's, that's going to happen on occasion. But like that happens to PJ Tucker. That happens to, uh, I, I comped him to Jared Dudley mixed with Trey Lyles. I think that there's, there's something there in terms of a smart veteran who sticks in the NBA for about 10 to 15 years. And it just depends on the role that he kind of plays he may not be a starter, but like I, I do see him as a 20 to 25 minute per game guy for a lot of teams yep. for a long time. And so yep. whether you use a first round pick on that guy or not, I don't know, but like, I can, I can definitely see it. Quinton Grimes before we go Kessler or uh, actually Kessler Edwards. I don't really care for Kessler Edwards. Like I think the shot is fine, but it's very funky and he's got a good post game, which like fine, but like, he's not going to post up in the NBA. Um, Quinton Grimes shot eight threes at Houston, shot them at like 40%. Like, sure, 
give me that guy. He has some playmaking instincts. He has some good defensive instincts. Like if they drafted him at 26, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I, I don't really have a, a Quentin Grimes take. I I think that I'm the very first time I saw him play was his first game at Kansas before he transferred. Um, and I, I believe that in it, but but no, not oof, because in his very first game at Kansas, he hit like eight three pointers. He lit up the gym. It was like that opening night of the season playing Duke or or Kentucky or somebody. And I was like, holy crap, Quentin Grimes. And everybody put him in their lottery right away on one game. And so I like locked on to, oh, Quentin Grimes, here we go. And then the rest of the season, oof, like he was terrible. He was bad. He wasn't getting minutes. The shot completely disappeared. And I just never really got back on board. Like if the shooting is there, definitely, you know, if you can get the eight three-pointers in the game guy, for sure. He worked, he's worked really hard. You know, I, I love what Houston accomplished this year with him. Good on him. He's not in my top 50, so it's, it's, it's just not a guy really on my radar. I don't disagree with what you said about Kessler either. Like, neither one of those guys are guys that I'm super excited about. I definitely like Robinson Earl much better than both of those guys, just maybe not for Denver. Um, but, yeah, sure, give Grams a shot. Shooting plays. So if he's going to hit shots like that, then, you know, you want him on the roster. Maybe I could see Grimes taking, like, the Malik Beasley role, and I could see him fitting that maybe. I could definitely see that too. That's that's a – and I think Denver's learned with Malik Beasley. Like, you need somebody who's going to be willing to commit defensively, and I don't think Beasley was ever really willing to do that from from what I understand. Like, he saw himself as the starter and wanted to be that, that star. Uh, you need somebody who's going to be willing to take a role – and that role player will end up being the starter because he's good defensively. Like that's, that's just sort of how it works, which is, yeah. it's, I can't believe that that, that never really clicked, but it is what it is. Um, yeah. As a, as a Timberwolves fan, I can confirm that he remains unwilling to commit defensively. <laughs> <laughs> I, I root for Malik Beasley to do good things. I, that's, it's too bad. I do too. Um, well, man, you've been so helpful and, and I really do feel like I, ho- I hope Nuggets fans and pickaxe and roll listeners can feel more knowledgeable heading into this draft process because of our conversation today. Uh, where can the people find your work and, and what else are you, are you doing over the course of these next couple of days? A lot of things, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, you know, the NBA never sleeps. So find me at the action network. Uh, we'll, we'll have some pieces going up there. We're covering the Olympics. So if you uh, just dined to catch some late night or early morning coffee basketball, you know, we've got some games coming up the next couple of days. And then again, as we, as we continue to play out. So we're covering the, those games and your best bets and all that kind of stuff over at the action network. We got a ton of draft stuff up there. We've got profiles. I have a profile on each of those top six that we talked about earlier in the podcast. Uh, we've got pieces on, you know, draft props and over-unders. We'll have free agency stuff coming I've got my big board and, and a lot of other, you know, profiles on the top 50 over at my Twitter at Wheaton Brando. So a lot of stuff is happening. I'm ready to hit August and, you know, like mid August, maybe get like three days off between NBA and NFL before I go full on NFL mode for a while. So that, that will come eventually, but lots of stuff in motion right now. And I'm excited for the draft, man. I mean, well, I'm sure, I guess I didn't mention that, but you know, there will be like a, a million draft fallouts and draft grades and and re rankings and all that kind of stuff to come as well. So I'm excited to see where everyone ends up. 
Well, we're going to be very excited to read with you. Uh, make sure to check out Brandon's stuff, of course, everybody. Uh, and make sure to go follow him because he he does, he's just a litany, a mass horde of information uh, from the Action Network <laughs> and what, what what Brandon just does. So he's, he's everywhere at this point. So again, thank you so much for taking part of your time, part of your day with, with us here. And uh, I just, I hope we have a good draft. It, it should be interesting to see what the Nuggets do. Uh, thanks for having me on and good luck with the draft. Uh, may, may all your Jaden Springer dreams come true. <laughs> that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. I'm not going to be podcasting on Wednesday night to Thursday morning, folks, but I will be podcasting after the draft. We will have all of that recap, all that stuff, hoping to get on some other folks so we can also preview some free agency stuff that I'm sure will come out, if, especially if there are trades. So thank you so much, everybody. We will talk to you guys very soon. Bye.